the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages, Amen. I greet you, dear brothers and sisters, on this, the second Sunday of the Blessed Coptic Month of Peope. And our Gospel reading this morning came from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which spoke to us about the miraculous catch of fish. Our Lord Jesus Christ stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is at the west of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats that were stationary by the lake. And outside these boats, the fishermen were cleaning their nets. They had worked all night to catch fish, but they had caught nothing. And now it was morning, and all they could do was clean their nets. Our Savior, seeing this sad scene before him, entered one of the boats, the boat belonging to Simon Peter. And there was a great multitude all around him that wanted to hear his words, but the crowd made it difficult for people to hear his words. So he entered the boat and he spoke to them. He preached the word from the boat. And this, of course, dear brothers and sisters, is a symbol of the Holy Church the new ark in which we hear the teaching of Christ and find salvation. And this is why from the earliest days of Christianity, this main part of the church in which you are all seated is called the nave. The nave, of course, coming from the Latin word navus, which literally means boat, like navy. So this area in which you are all seated right now is called the ship, the boat, because the church is the new ark, Outside the waves are beating, outside there is people perishing, but inside of the church there is salvation. When our Lord had finished speaking, he spoke to Peter and told him, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And we all know what happened next. The catch, they caught such a great number of fish that they had to call in other fishing boats just to help them carry all of it. And after this great miracle, Peter fell down at our Lord's feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And in response, our Lord told him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. With God's grace, I would like to meditate with you on three points of this beautiful story. First of all, let us meditate on perhaps the most bizarre aspect of this story. Did you notice that the fishermen were cleaning their nets when our Lord approached them? When you hear the story, you may very well ignore this detail, but when you think about it, you will find it to be quite strange. Why is it strange for the fishermen to have been cleaning their nets when our Lord found them? It is strange because, as the Gospel tells us, the fishermen had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And so this begs the question, if the fishermen had caught nothing, why were they cleaning their nets? If they had caught some fish, it would make perfect sense for them to clean their nets. But in light of their own admission that they caught nothing, it's odd for them to be cleaning their nets. So if their nets did not contain fish, what was in them? 
And the answer, dear brothers and sisters, is that everything else was in those nets. Every kind of rubbish and garbage and useless thing that you can imagine was in the nets of those fishermen. And that's why this detail is recorded for us in the Gospel. Because as St. John Chrysostomus teaches us, these small details should not be ignored in the Gospel. They're not just there to help us with the narrative, but they are there because they have a spiritual significance. And I submit to you that this detail has a spiritual significance because when you think about it, the net of a fisherman is everything to him. His net is his very livelihood. It is his entire life. It is the tool with which he interacts with the world and provides for himself and his family. And to have a net filled with garbage and useless things is to be paralyzed, at least if you are a fisherman. And when our Savior encounters the holy apostles, they are frustrated, depressed, and paralyzed because they worked all night to fill their nets, but they find their nets are filled with all kinds of rubbish and garbage. My brothers and sisters, this is a symbol of our lives. The apostles could not catch any fish that night because their nets were filled with useless things. And this is sadly oftentimes how we live our lives as well. We dedicate our time and our energy towards the things of the world that cannot bring us any happiness whatsoever. What the apostles found in their nets that night brought them no happiness. And even more importantly, what they found prevented them from doing the will of God and catching fish. There are people among us whose souls and hearts have the very same problem. It is like a man who gathers all kinds of secondhand furniture into his home until his house becomes so full that he has no room to even move. And so he becomes paralyzed in his own home. His house becomes unlivable and he cannot do the will of God in his house. Living in the world today, it is quite easy for us to fill our hearts and souls with unprofitable and useless things. Just as the nets were the most important thing to the apostles, our hearts, our souls, are the most important things to us, and yet, sadly, we oftentimes fill them with useless and unprofitable things. It is because we live in a world like this that we must take the time, dear brothers and sisters, to clean our nets, so to speak. In other words, to clean our hearts. What does this mean? It means we reevaluate the priorities in life and remove all of the unprofitable things in our life that prevent us from doing the will of God. Our church, in her wisdom, gives us dedicated times throughout the year in order for us to clean our nets. And these times, of course, are the holy fasts that we observe throughout the year and throughout the week on Wednesdays and Fridays. And I would caution you especially about the upcoming fast that begins next month, the fast of the Holy Nativity, which we begin 43 days before Christmas on January 7. 
Ironically, although this fast is a period in which we should be cleaning our nets from all unprofitable things, this fast is oftentimes the season of the year when we fill our hearts with more unprofitable things than at any other time in the year. It just shows you how the devil works. Because this fast is leading up to the Feast of the Nativity. And the reason for the season, as people say, is to celebrate the birth of God. But we have become so commercialized in our celebration of Christmas. We have become so distracted by gifts and by specialized drinks at Starbucks and all kinds of things that oftentimes we don't benefit from the season. We don't clean our nets before the celebration of our Lord's birth. We learn from today's gospel reading that it was only after they cleaned their nets that they were made worthy of being fishers of men for Christ. And for us it is the same. As long as our souls and our hearts are filled with unprofitable things, things that prevent us from living the true Christian life, then we will never be able to fully do the will of God in our lives. Second, let us meditate on the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ tells the apostles to let down their nets. In an act of great and obedient faith, the apostles obey our Lord Jesus Christ and they let down their nets at his word. And before the apostles let down their nets, St. Peter, speaking on behalf of all of them, told our Lord, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. He was illustrating to our Lord how the apostles had been working and how based on his expertise and the wisdom of the world, nothing good would come out of the action of letting their nets down a second time. But our Lord, however, asks St. Peter to launch out into deeper water. He tells him, launch out into the deep and to let down his nets. And that was certainly not a request that would make any sense to a fisherman who was fishing this lake at this time. Because first of all, this lake specifically was fished at night. You would not fish this lake in the morning. And secondly, you would fish this lake on shallow waters. This is what scholars, biblical scholars who have studied this story have told us. So our Lord's command that they should go into the deep water in the morning would make absolutely no sense to a fisherman. It would go against the basic fundamentals of fishing at the time. But St. Peter responds and says, nonetheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Why did St. Peter say this? And why did the apostles ultimately let down their nets? It is because they trusted Christ. They trusted him. When our Lord asked them to let down their nets, he didn't offer them any explanation. He didn't tell them, I have years of fishing experience, or that he saw a school of fish uh, swimming in that particular area, he gave them no explanation whatsoever. He did not rationalize his command to them, but instead he simply told them, let down your nets. And his request went against the normal experience of fishermen and the wisdom of the world. And yet the apostles obeyed Christ. And the lesson for us, my brothers and sisters, is that there are times 
in our lives in which we must do exactly what Christ asks us to do. We have a tendency in the modern world to try to rationalize everything and try to understand everything and not do anything until we are absolutely convinced by the wisdom of the world. We refuse to do anything unless someone explains to us why we are doing it and what's in it for us. And sadly, this manner of thinking oftentimes extends even to our relationship with God. And the problem with this way of thinking is that it shows we really don't trust Christ, that we really don't obey Christ deep down, but instead we trust ourselves. We trust what we think is good or bad. We trust ourselves as the gatekeepers of wisdom. So if you can convince me, then I will do it because I am the gatekeeper of wisdom and I trust myself to do what's best for me. But this kind of mentality doesn't work in our relationship with God. If the apostles had followed this type of mentality, they, we would not be reading about this wonderful story and this miraculous catch of fish. If we have this mentality, it will be very hard for us to see the work of God in our lives. A person who knew this very well was the Holy Theotokos, St. Mary. Remember when she asked her son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to perform the miracle at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, she turned to the servants who were at the wedding and she told them, whatever he says to you, do it. And she knew that in order for the servants and for the husband and wife and for the whole wedding party to see the glory of God in their lives at that moment, they had to do exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ commanded. And what our Lord commanded made no sense. What was the problem? The wine has run out. What was our Lord's solution? Take six large water pots, each one of them containing perhaps 130 gallons. Take six of them and fill them with water. What relation does that solution have with having more wine? Absolutely none. Zero. But St. Mary told them, whatever he says to you, do it because she trusted Christ. And at this moment, she was teaching us as well to trust her son. And when they trusted her son, the result was this amazing miracle in which perhaps, if you want to say 600 plus gallons of water were miraculously transformed into wine in an instant, simply by the divine power of our Lord and by the obedience of the servants who did what he commanded. The same thing happened in the miracles in which our Lord multiplied the loaves of bread and the fish to feed the multitude. He commanded the apostles to make the people sit down. Now imagine being one of the apostles and receiving the command to make 5,000 plus people sit down in groups of 50. So we are talking about organizing a hundred different groups here at least. And they were asked to organize these groups for the sake of feeding them with what? Five loaves and two fish. The perfectly logical response of the apostles would have been, 
Why are we going through all of this effort to divide 5,000 people into 100 groups of 50? We only have five loaves and two fish. This is a waste of my time. I should go be doing something for me, something that benefits me. And yet, this was not their response. Instead, instead the gospel tells us, and they did so. Right? They did so. They divided the people into 100, into 100 groups of 50. They obeyed Christ, and he multiplied the five loaves and the two fish, and he fed the whole multitude. Why? Because they obeyed Christ without questioning him. But sadly, it's oftentimes not the same today. Any parent in the church today knows this firsthand just from the experience of asking their son or daughter to clean his room or do his homework or get ready for church early. Parents hear any and every excuse from their children not to do what they asked. They hear everything except for obedience. And sadly, that is oftentimes how we are even with Christ. The church says fast, and we say no. The church says come to the divine service, we say no. Last week, I preached about the importance of coming to the evening raising of incense on Saturday nights, and still, sadly, many people say no. But in order to see the work of God in our lives, dear brothers and sisters, we must do exactly what He commands us in the Holy Scripture and through His Holy Church. And when we do that, then we will see the glory of God in our lives. St. Mary knew this. The apostles knew this. And even the martyrs knew this. The martyrs who stood there and gave their lives to Christ in complete obedience to Him, they didn't question, if I am beheaded now, what's going to happen to me after? They believed in His promise that if they lost their lives for the sake of Christ, they would be surrounded with the glory of God. And that's why we have their icons adorning our churches and their relics. And that's why they continue to perform miracles among us, because they obeyed Christ. And they did exactly what he commanded. Third, and finally, let us speak about St. Peter's repentance and humility. When he saw the great catch of fish they made by trusting Christ, he fell down at Christ's feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And many of us, when we read the story, we call it the miraculous catch of fish. And this title leads us to believe that the miracle in this story was the great catch of fish itself. But in actuality, the great miracle of this story is not really the catch of fish, but it's the transformation that occurs in the heart of St. Peter and the rest of the apostles. How did this transformation come about? It came about when they found themselves in the presence and glory of God. And the lesson for us to remember is that true repentance and humility comes not really by focusing on ourselves, as the world teaches us, but rather by focusing on the light of Christ. This is exactly what happened to St. Peter in today's Gospel. And the same occurred in the Old Testament in the story of the holy and long-suffering Job. You remember that after God permits Job to suffer countless tribulations and afflictions, we find Job spending most of his time defending himself and telling his friends that he is innocent 
and that he doesn't deserve the things that God has brought upon him. And in fact, we are told that Job's friends stopped trying to comfort him because Job continually viewed himself as righteous. And this goes on for most of the book of Job. But towards the very end, something amazing happens. Towards the very end, the Lord God appears to the holy and long-suffering Job in a whirlwind and speaks to him. And at the end of this conversation with God, Job says to God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So when Job was defending himself and relying on himself and claiming himself to be innocent, it was then that he did not see God. And at that moment, he did not repent. But when he saw God in the whirlwind, he said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. It was only when he allowed himself to be in the presence of God that he recognized how sinful he was and he repented. The same thing happened to the holy prophet Isaias or Isaiah in the year 742 BC when he had a vision of our Lord Jesus Christ seated in glory in heaven. In this account which comes from Isaias 6, he beholds the Lord of glory and the seraphim worshiping God while proclaiming the hymn that we now call the Trisagion. Holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And when Isaiah beheld the beauty and glory of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, when Isaiah saw the Lord of glory seated on his throne, being praised and glorified by the seraphim and cherubim. It was only then that he realized his own sinfulness and his own wretchedness. And it is the exact same for us. We can see ourselves as we truly are only if we place ourselves in the presence of God. The Holy Apostle Paul spoke about this when he said, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So to live a life of humility and repentance, we have to focus on Christ and continually place ourselves in His presence through prayer and fasting, participating in the mysteries of the church, serving the Lord's brethren, imitating Him, following His commandments, doing exactly what He asks us to do. It is only through the spiritual program that we will see ourselves as we really are and receive forgiveness and salvation. You remember that when our Lord saw Isaiah humbling himself in His presence, He commanded one seraph, one of the seraphim, to take a fiery coal from the altar and to place it on Isaiah's lips in order to cleanse him. And this, of course, is one of the many symbols of the mystery of the Eucharist, of Holy Communion in the Old Testament. And God is going to do the same thing with us today at the end of the liturgy. We come here 
we place ourselves in His presence, we realize who we truly are, we repent throughout the liturgy, and of course before that to our Father of Confession, and then at the end of the liturgy, the Lord, in order to cleanse us, will take the fiery coal of His body and blood and place it on our lips, and then we will be purified and cleansed of our sins, and then we leave and continue to live that transfigured life. May God grant each and every one of us, dear brothers and sisters, to follow the program that we hear about in today's gospel. First of all, to clean our nets, to clean our hearts from every useless and unprofitable thing. And second of all, dear brothers and sisters, to fully trust in Christ and do exactly what he says. And third of all, to humble ourselves and realize who we are and repent while being in His presence. To our God be all glory, to the All-Holy Father, to the All-Holy Son, to the All-Holy Spirit, now and forever and unto the age of all ages. Amen.